0: Right. Well, happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of, honestly, all things learning, talent, innovation, tech. I, I, I continue to say I've got to redo my intro, and I just haven't gotten around to it yet. And for those of you who have been following me for a while, just as a heads up, check out the YouTube channel. I'm starting to create more short-form content out there, so be sure to check that out when you get a chance. But today... I'm joined by Ben Brooks from Pilot, and we're going to be talking about, man, Ben, we've got a pretty diverse array of things because we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about measurement. We're going to be talking about the integration of DE&I and learning. We're going to be talking about retention as it relates to learning. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. And by the way for those of you watching and listening, feel free to comment and let us know because we're going to do the where we are in the world after this. But Ben sets the record today because he is the first guest who went and got, went to the dentist this morning just to be on Learning Tech Talks. Look at that. Look at those pearly whites. That's right. All that. And that, just so you know, that is not a requirement to be on the show, but this is just the kind of guy Ben is. He's putting setting a new standard so <laughs> put, my
1: best, put my best molar forward right you know that's so, right yeah. that's
0: right i yes. love it well so for those who might not be familiar where are you in the world right now
1: uh, you i mean because
0: uh, like you, you can't tell from your background like sometimes from a background you can kind of tell yours yeah. uh, no nope, this is this is here. uh
1: we are in my apartment in new york city okay. i live in manhattan um on the island of manhattan i live in chelsea so on the West Side. So if you know where Madison Square Garden is or Madison Square Park, I'm to the west of that, right near the High Line. So I'm a couple blocks from the Hudson River. Okay. uh, I'm you know West Twenty Fourth Street in uh, in Manhattan in Chelsea. All
0: right. All right. Well, there you go. So there we got that piece. So you're probably dealing with. Is it starting to warm up for you there? Because it's I'm in Milwaukee. Everybody knows that, and it's it's been cold, but now we're kind of forties, which to me is warm for February. Uh I mean that's like toasty.
1: Well we we had a arctic chill and i think like negative 30 wind chill or something this weekend but i escaped for the weekend with perfect timing to denver to see my nephews so avoided that but new york we had 32 days of record temperatures in january and february so like uh, highs are lows nice nice we've had a, oh, it was okay. like right. most of january and we didn't have we finally got our first snowfall february 1st first of the year the latest time oh. we've had snow since 1869. Okay. I'm a weather nerd. So oh, well, uh, look at
0: you. Just you're just not only did you go to the dentist, you were just filled with facts on I, the.
1: the, the I follow, I follow a sassy Twitter and Instagram account about the weather that puts like a mood and a vibe and feelings about okay. the weather and what your psyche is going to be. And it's very uh, opinionated about what's happening okay. sort of from a barometric right. pressure perspective, you know?
0: Well, I suppose, I suppose then that would explain, I, I have a friend who I think follows a similar one and it is very sassy. And he, he also knows the weather very keenly because of, it's very memorable for him.
1: So, yeah. Well, all it's right. a, little like, a little like HR learning could be boring or you could make it really engaging and fun. You could yeah. make
0: it really right. fun. Yeah. Right. Ah, see, we just took, we just took the, how's the weather conversation to a whole new <laughs> level. Well, you got, you got a nice Zen thing going on with the background though. I like it. It's very... It's very calming.
1: I try, I try to have that, especially from coaching or webinars or talks that I do. It's like, you know, I may be in a crazy, bustling city, but it doesn't mean there can't be serenity okay. at home. Doesn't so. mean that you're not in a peaceful state.
0: All right. Well, so for, for those who may not be familiar with who you are, tell me a little bit about your background, kind of how, where did you get your start? Because now you're in this space and that can kind of transition into what is, pilot? Cause obviously this is where you are now. So what was the journey to get there and what is it that here
1: is? So my, my career has been Z shaped. So, you okay. know, rental car business, defense contracting and spy planes, you know, management consulting, lean six Sigma, black belt, aviation. That, that's an interesting background spy. Yeah. Pl- I mean, you got a secret no. agent thing going. Oh, I, I did have a, I had a, a department of defense, secret clearance and all of that. So special badges we wore and also, you know, things. And can't talk about any. I'll be of that. careful what questions I ask you. Yeah, well, I'll <laughs> politely, I'll just politely uh, ignore them, or uh, you know, like we were trained by lawyers about how to give non-answers, right? So okay, um, all right. Uh, same training to give people in the media, right? You know, that's a, yeah. like, there's, a, there's a Venn diagram in politics. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly, and and, I, and in management consulting, I you know I'm gay, and we uh, I joined the company, and moved to New York, and you know we didn't have a very gay-friendly or LGBTQ-friendly culture, and this was about 15 years ago, and so. I got involved and co-founded our LGBT employee resource group and we didn't even have one and, and we had no ERGs that were global in nature for any demographics and so okay. that was my first time getting close to HR when I wasn't sort of in trouble or needed, you know, a raise. Or <laughs> so so that was, you know, my entry point into HR. And then I wound up doing a rotation, at, you know, talent management. I was at Marshall McLennan companies and worked for the CHRO globally and they own Mercer and other companies like that. And and just was like, wow, HR is actually really fascinating. I would have never guessed that I would find HR so fascinating. It was like, wow, the, the demand and the, the potential and the possibility seems infinite. And yet the supply of like good stuff and people isn't that abundant. And so yet a lot of people in the function want to do good. And there's a lot of commitment and, really, you know, purpose driven people, but a lot of things that are misaligned for people to succeed in HR. And so I joined the function, became a vice president, then a senior vice president, and rolled out a lot of learning and culture programs. Okay. So built a, a, a social learning platform, an internal social learning platform that turned to kind of inverted the corporate university. And we had everyone be a teacher rather than everyone worrying about being a student. And so, you know, that was a what very wonderful you. thing. Leaders we and countries. teachers. Yep. Uh, the, the, so there's a the book called The New Social Learning we were featured in and, you know, won some mm-hmm. awards in that space. And, and, you know, but we deployed it a global scale, you know, 100 countries, 25,000 people, you know, 15 official languages, a lot of complexity in a very, and a median age of 49 years old. So not exactly in an industry that was paper-based. So not exactly the most tech-centric, Um, you know, uh, population. And yet we had incredible results. And that's where I learned so much about change management, executive sponsorship, expectation setting metrics. And then, you know, I left the corporate world about 10 years ago, last month, actually 10 years ago, to be exact, I thought I would get an HR job somewhere else wound up becoming an executive coach. And then after building a practice, I just realized that coaching was so powerful, but I was really only working with people who are already really successful, kind of one percent income earners, later in career, business owners, executives, and so the idea for pilot was how do we create maybe eighty five percent of the efficacy of one to one coaching for two or three percent of the cost, and that was kind of the, the we'll talk about what pilot is in a second, but that was what kind of my I got into HR through diversity, wound up in a proper HR role, learned a lot about how hard it is for HR people to succeed. I have so much empathy and compassion. For, uh, people crap on HR all the time, and the, the, you know, and I'm like, you have no idea. You're Go dealing
0: with com- major complexity because you're dealing ne- with people.
1: D- and, and talk about like, yeah, the ultimate complexity is people. And so, the, the, so I think that that's one of the the hardest things. And yet, the need for HR in 2023 is probably HR. greater than any time in history. So that was that was kind of my corporate experience. And so, as you know, as a, a vendor and a HR tech founder, very few people I meet have worked in HR that are vendors. I would
0: say that is a very common theme,
1: yeah. And and
0: from your journey, I have no doubt, and we go, we'll we we'll get into some of these as we talk about these three big buckets. I, I have no doubt, because I can share some more stories along the way too, that you probably took some lessons from the School of
1: Hard Knocks as well along the way. <laughs> a, phrase, a phrase my dad was uh, fond of using when we were kids, and he certainly he said he got a graduate degree from that university. and. You know and yeah. and you know there yeah there was a lot of um you know sometimes the the, the best learning moments um with the steepest learning curve are the most painful right ray dalio from yeah. bridgewater associates says you know pain plus reflection equals progress and yeah. you know i often describe I said you know, we think of learning in the color palette you probably think of yellow it's sunny, it's bright, it's warm, it's friendly. It's like a kindergartner. You know, you know, and and but then when you reflect on your life about the moments where you learned the most about maybe who you were and your values or how the world worked or who someone was in your you know, those were often sometimes the most high pressure or high stress or complex or the most things were on. on or the, the moments brain. when
0: you got kicked in the teeth. I Correct. mean, just really took it. Totally,
1: totally. And so I think that's where part of what we're trying to reframe is that everyone you know learning seems like something where we're going to go to enrichment and take a crafts course which is fine but in reality often the most learning employees say i want to learn and i want to grow and we're like okay well you are you prepared to be uncomfortable because i think that's a societal thing that we're getting because convenience is being marketed to us more and more we are becoming softer and softer and we're not able to manage our emotions when we're out of the patterns and the context that we know And so when we get uncomfortable, we freak out. And yet, you know, there's nothing. We want to stop it.
0: We're like, what can we do to stop the discomfort instead of going? No, how do we lean into it in a healthy way? Correct. So that it helps us grow. It's not that you should constantly be in pain, but how do you lean into it the right way so that it's actually... Helping you grow.
1: Yeah, you can't be terrorized all the time. That's like that's a psychologically unsafe sort of place. No. But to have these conditions <laughs> yeah. to say, we're not talking hey, about creating trauma for people.
0: That is not what we're talking not. about.
1: No, but you know, saying you know, our our employees, our executives, our managers are they willing to tolerate whatever gets kicked up inside of them when they don't look good, when they don't know the answer, when they don't know how to do something, when they present something that doesn't get approved, when they get a bunch of feedback, when there's resistance. This is you know, you think of the change agent. Skill set—that's yep. so much of the change agent skill set—is a managing one's own emotions when other people are upset. Because if you're going to drive change, even if it's change that everyone says they want, you will do nothing but piss people off. Yeah. So that's my little like uh, little like, you know. No. So well, it if, gives
0: some background into where we're going with this. So then, ten years ago, you'd done all this and you said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know. do it separately."
1: Yeah, and what I realized is that I was buying millions of dollars of programs, technology, consulting, training, assessments from various vendors and providers. And what I found is they were super hard to buy, really hard to get set up and implemented or integrated, a lot of configuration decisions and every decision means more stakeholder alignment, which is more headaches and then really hard to get people to use and super hard to measure and prove that they were valuable. So I really, when we built Pilot. And I put my life savings into. I'm the sole funder of the company. I, you know, yeah. you know I you bootstrapped of, it. Yeah. So took t- took a big bet, put, you know, a significant amount of money into this company, a lot of sacrifices. So I care very personally about the product, about the service we deliver, about our brand. And we, you know, get offers for money or to sell the company. I got, you know, offers, you got six or seven inbounds last week about, do you want money? Do you want to sell the company? So that's, it's not that we don't have access to those things, right? But we've chosen yeah. this path. And, you know, really, I want to build a product that not only is amazing for employees and managers and executives, but also that's amazing for HR, because the last thing HR needs is more headaches, and more breakdowns and more complexity. And so we like to provide- You deal with
0: one of the most complicated aspects of the business. Yes. Can we provide a solution to you that's going to make it exponentially harder?
1: That's not a great value problem. No, 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 it's, it's sort of, you know, the, the, the problem solution mass, right? You know, you know the, one of, the use, one of the, the use cases for the automobile, right? Was to cut down on air pollution because horse dung in the streets caused a lot of smell and flies and everything else. And so, but yet that became our next problem was automobiles. Then we had, you know, traffic and fatalities and, you know, uh, fuel consumption and air pollution from those. And so oftentimes what we buy to solve something becomes our next problem. And I'm committed yep. that when people buy pilot, it's not a problem, rather it's a solution. And so the idea yeah. was that we wanted to put the employee back into employee retention and put the employee at the center of their own employee experience and really lean into the future of work, which is self-directed. You know, company supported growth and learning, but employee owned and driven. And so we did that by, you know, being very inventive. We've taken pretty, a, a pretty contrarian approach to how we deliver our experience, to the content that's in the experience, and to how we work with HR all in service of understanding intimately each stakeholder's needs. But the mission of Pilot is we want everyone to feel powerful at work and really from the inside out, not because they were given a director <laughs> title, right? But, but you know, uh, but, but like that, that sense of empowerment, when the toothpaste out of the tube, you can't put it back in They They're just, they, they know that they feel power, they like, stand taller in their shoes. And so what Pilot is, is a virtual employee development program, six months. It's comprehensive. Okay. It includes yeah. group coaching manager feedback about the future, not the past, very distinct from a performance review. It's about who Christopher could be. It includes self-reflection, having the employee tap into the deepest reservoir of knowledge about their career and themselves in the world, which is between their ears, and to bring in executives to talk about the unwritten rules of work and their career journeys, their, their, their graduate degree from the uh, School of Hard Knocks. and Which, really by the were- way,
0: is one of the things that so often is not talked about. Things. I mean, there are so many things that I learned from mentors and sponsors over the years that you don't get from grad school. You don't get from corporate learning and development. You don't get from LinkedIn learning. It's like some of these things of just, you gotta, you, you just gotta know how this works. And if you don't, you're not going to make it. And if you do. You'll figure out how to navigate it. Now, one of the things you brought up that I actually want to dig into a little bit as we get into it, because it ties to what Pilot does, but you talked about balancing employee ownership and the employer contribution. Yes. And I think that's a really important spectrum. So I, I actually, it wasn't one of our things, but I want to pull that back because not getting this right can have dire consequences in things. And I've seen organizations play on all sides of the spectrum. So on the one side of the spectrum, it's like, you're the employee, you own your development, figure it out and best of luck. And that can feel very isolating as an employee and going to our retention conversation. A lot of times that leaves people going, well, then I guess I'm leaving. Like, I guess I figured it it out. I'm so empowered. I'm (laughs) figuring it out. And figuring it out means I interviewed for another job and I left because there's nothing here. On the other side, you can have like it's all the employer's responsibility, and people are just kind of this, you know, oh, I'm just waiting for my boss to give me this and I'm waiting for my competency,
1: my promotion. Everything. Tell
0: me what I'm good at. Tell me what I should do. Give me the promotion. And that can sound good on the employee side, but going back to what you said earlier about making you actually weak, it, it actually doesn't make you a strong, well-developed employee because you don't have any accountability or responsibility. So you're just kind of like, eh, and there's no ownership to that. So how do you f- help people find that balance? Because like I said, I've seen all ends of it and it's
1: not getting this right can be dangerous. Yeah. I think that, that, you know, it is often screwed up because we, we hear, you know, employees to own their career at the bumper sticker level. Right. right? <laughs> like the tweet, the mantra, like own it, drive it, be in the driver's seat, you know, which we're all about. It looks good on a
0: PowerPoint
1: deck. Yeah, like you yes. own your career. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, what no, does that that's, mean? That's the theme of performance management this year, you know, great. You know, but, but I think that we, we talk about the value of being inventive at pilots, one of our five values. Okay. And so, we talk about being creative yet grounded in our approach. And so part of an, an inventive approach to career ownership is really that employees do need to own it, but the yes. organization needs to support it. And so just saying, figure it out, employees will tap into what they they sort of misuse the tool, but what the, the best career development resource for an employee, if the employer doesn't provide anything, is LinkedIn.com. Now, it's not actually career development. It's just career switching, but it's masqueraded as development. And so then yeah. people go and they think that they're, you know, and they collapse sort of, in, you know, the, the return on ambition. In that book, they talk about, you know, growth, advancement and well-being are the three returns on ambition. And so employees sure. often confuse growth and achievement right in those or okay. advancement. Yep. In those. Yeah. So so it, so if you don't provide anything, employees will soothe themselves and get their needs met by going somewhere else. But and that's very it,
0: much, I think, ingrained in a lot of people's head. Like, well, if I'm developing, it means I'm getting a different job. And we, in some ways, have contributed to that. Like you said, I'll just get on LinkedIn. Oh, so I can find a different job.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and we fetishize no. anything new as humans, our brains, right? You know, we meet yeah. someone new, we think the world of them, right? Going to first date, we're so excited, you know? But when you're with that person for six months or your friends for a couple of years, you're like, oh, that person. And so there, there's the a <laughs> promise and the fantasy. When jobs are no different right? Yeah. The greener grass, right? Well, it turns out no matter where you have grass, you have to fricking water it, right? Yep. you so got to mow the lawn, you got to fertilize
0: it. it, it. it. I mean, it's
1: it's not, yeah, it's the same grass. And and so, you know, I think the, the inventive balance for us is, you know, yes, you have to deliver that, that, that paradigm to say your career is yours. There's a secret menu in your company, just like an In-N-Out burger or Shake Shack. There's a secret menu and you can kind of have whatever you might want potentially over time in your career. But the employer has to support employees advocating for themselves, you know, employees making time for this, you know, employees, you know, being inventive and proposing job special stretch assignments and special projects. Because if you do the paternalistic model, like you said, the other side of that is oh, you know, Christopher, here's your career paths and here's the, based on, you know, automatically based on our HCM, here's the three things you could do and you're gonna be a corrections officer or you're gonna work in the cafeteria. And it's like- You took this quiz five years ago and here's your, you know, here's your job path. And then employees go, well, I don't want that. I don't like that. I don't wanna go get my MBA or I don't wanna get this. And it gets into this very, no different than I think parents with children that it's like, okay, here's what we're gonna do today. Here's what you're gonna eat. Or here's what we're gonna do. And you're trying to get the kids' shoes on to get in the car. And that's the level of where we get mentally as adults between employers and employees when we have too much of a paternalistic model. When you know managers and HR become mommy and daddy, you know, employees show up as children and they're fully yeah. capable adults. So people will be as small as you hold them. So if you have too much of a we'll tell you everything to do, and granted, there's certain industries that are that are super technical. You think of um Flying a, an airplane, United Airlines just created a, a, a pilot school. Yeah, that's not one you
0: want to be like, you know, just kind of like- Do
1: whatever you want. Right? There, there are things, you know, right seat, left <laughs> seat, and you go, you know, you fly this, and you get your hours, and you go to the regionals, and there's, there's certain things, you know, medical, there's certain yes. technical things, right? So to, to caveat, this sort of, I'm speaking kind of generally knowledge worker, kind of, you know, uh, salaried, yep. you know, office desk kind of jobs, right? But nonetheless, yep. you have to support that including like you talked about the sponsors and mentors that talk about the unwritten rules of work. The challenge is, is that the model we often do to consume that isn't very ex- inclusive or transparent or no, it's efficient, not. right? Cause if, if you're, well, not- and I think
0: that goes back to something you said before. And I think this is a really important piece is that role of the employers is you talked about the secret in and out menu, yep. which animal fries are amazing. Yep. You know, is the fact that, if you don't let people know that's there, they really don't even know how to navigate it. So to your point of inclusion, and that's where you see this, and we're kind of hitting on some of this stuff, but this is where you see this divide in those that know about the menu and those that don't, and the difference you see in trajectory of these people. And so how are you making that accessible? And going back to the role of the employer, they do have an obligation to say, hey, we can't have this secret menu that we only give 1% of the population, any sort of access to, and then go, man, why do we not have enough diversity in our organization, or why do we have these huge divides? Um,
1: well, and there it, you go. And it can be, you know, part of it is it's the family you grew up in. You know, if you grew up in a family yeah. where you had a dad or a mom who was in the corporate world and knew how to navigate and knew their secret, you you know, you're out with your dad having a beer, going golfing, or doing the thing. And they says, you know, well, tell your boss that you want to make more money or you want to work on that client or do this thing. And you get the sort of encouragement. And you may, yes. but you come from a, a culture where it was keep your head down, do good work. Just do your job. Be grateful for what you have. Like you may, your parents may have been immigrants. You may have come from a developing country. You may come from different, you know, um, cultural. Yeah, parents. culturally. The, the, and so that's one of the things that we deploy pilot globally. We're in five continents and we see such disparities you know, self-advocacy, huge. speaking up for oneself is, you know, Rich Feller at Colorado State University's research said the number one determinant of satisfaction over the longitudinal arc of a career is the degree to which we advocate for ourselves. And you see a grand canyon between men and women and self-advocacy, right? Uh, You know, when when a man self-advocates, he's he's strong, he's getting these, women is like needy or demanding or the B word or anything else. And so we've got these other lenses, you know, and you take people of color, you take disability, you take, you know, other things, LGBTQ veteran status, et cetera. You know, these are all things we have to consider. And so part of what we're doing with Pilot is we're saying, hey, instead of that one-to-one lunch with the executive for the person who works in Milwaukee at headquarters, how about the, <laughs> right. How about, how about the person right in Duluth that isn't at headquarters or the person in right. Mesa, Arizona? Who's on the front
0: line, who's never yeah. actually even had exposure to these people. Yeah, the
1: person in the contact center in Tampa that isn't gonna ever be on a business trip to Milwaukee unless they get the coaching and development to advocate for the roles to do those things. So we have to think about smart ways to kind of scale and democratize the message, which is gonna be specific to each organization, industry, culture, and it's much more the art of advancing a career rather than the science. The science we can do through processes and through systems, but the art is really through people, including other people of different demographics and how they've navigated those things.
0: Well, and what's interesting, just even on this topic, because I had a recent experience with this just myself, is I had, again, I do a fair amount goofing around with my YouTube account. And I had done a short on, should I ask for a raise? Mm. Should I ask for a raise? And then I did a longer version of it on, how do you do that? Like, what is an effective way to do that? And it was amazing because... It was very interesting to watch the reactions to this and even just seeing people's responses. No, you should never do that. The number of people who, and, and in my thing, I said, you absolutely should. Like you absolutely should. And some of the people responding saying, yeah, but they always say no. Well, but that's a data point for you that if you're working for someone who, when you say, hey, here's my case, here's what I'm doing. I think I've, I deserve a raise and they go, no. Okay, well, that should inform your decision about what you're doing with your career. And is this a place that you want to be? Is this a person you want to be under? So even if it doesn't go the way you want, it's still a really important data point. But again, some of the disparity in even just perspectives based on cultural or socioeconomic backgrounds of even people, something that can seem so counterintuitive of, well, should I ask for race? raise? That answer is not universal. People will not just say the same answer everywhere.
1: No, no. And it gets back to discomfort. You know, people yeah. when they advocate for themselves generally want to have a hundred percent batting average. Yes. Right. You think of baseball, like you, you, nobody has, like you're 30% you're great. Right. And so, so, you know, part of it is can you handle the discomfort of being told no or not now or this instead, or you'll need to do this first. Cause it may be to yes. say, Hey, here's where it's at. Or we're going to explain your comfort. Here's the things we need to do. And then you've got a roadmap to do that. But if you do advocate and you don't get it and then you eventually leave, they're in, the, the organization shouldn't be surprised. That's one of the things as an employee, you always want to make sure is that if you're yes. gonna leave an organization for a particular reason, you ideally wanna have tried to resolve that reason before you quit. Because it's yes. a bit of a betrayal. Imagine being in a marriage or a best friendship or, you know, sharing a vacation house with a friend or something right? Like, right? You know, coaching a soccer team together or a kids' soccer team. And and you do someone just leaves right and and they're 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 really upset about X Y or Z they've got a thing and they never freaking said anything right yes most of the time it's solvable but what we typically do is we just declare job bankruptcy and Looney Tune style blow it up with TNT and go to the new job and so I think that's a part of what we have to train employees on this owning your career it includes speaking up when you're bored when expectations are unclear, when priorities are not defined, when you want more challenge. Feel undervalued. We, I yep, mean, we, all these things, When whenever we, these things, it, like it, you said. Yeah, whatever it is. And so I think, you know, people think about comp as the thing to advocate for and it absolutely is. But at Pilot, we've sure. created a periodic table of advocacy, which is this There's more thing. than that. I mean, literally, it's like, I, I want variety. And we're going different tools, I, different schedule. There's so much- Flexibility
0: we've yes. seen as a result of the pandemic has blown up for people yes. where they go, I care more about that than other things. Autonomy and flexibility are more important to me. So, I, and I think this is, again, such an important piece that we talk about that balancing act of, okay, well, yes, the employee has a responsibility. But again, as an employer- you have to recognize that because going back to managers and organizations, if your people are having these conversations and it's a constant, no, we can't, we won't, we don't. You cannot be surprised when people say, okay, yep. I'm out. I'm like out. I've done, I've done everything I can to do my best to explore it. So I think going back to that, you know, just kind of to summarize this piece, it's a really good one for employees You should thoroughly vet and explore all of the possibilities before you say being in this job can no longer work. It's to the best of your ability. To an employer, you need to do everything you can to make that exploration possible and then recognize if there's nothing you can do, then you cannot you need to bid them farewell and be okay with that and go, you yes. know what we understand
1: type of a and, thing. And you to can't be like, employee, like terrible got to train, employees. we got to train managers to embrace employees when they advocate to not, it doesn't mean to placate them or to just give them everything they want, but just say, let's have that conversation. You want to talk about your career. Let's have it outside of a one-on-one. Let's go have a coffee. Let's go have a glass of wine. Let's take a walk. Let's get on zoom. Let's get on teams. I think we have to enable the managers and also the organizations to be more fluid and more flexible Yes. because that's a part of it. When employees feel like they're valued and they have a certain degree of control, I mean, ultimately, McKinsey showed the research last summer the number one reason people were quitting white collar knowledge worker jobs was lack of growth and development. They felt fundamentally, Pew Research Center had this as the number two reason that it was that they were at a dead end in their career. You know, people talk about a dead end job, a dead end job could be six figures. In salary, right? Oh, that's for true. sure. Right? So, so I think that's where employees, if they don't feel that the the environment is fertile enough for them, because people make a lot of feeling today about their projections of tomorrow, right? Yeah. So, you know, so we if, make a if, lot of
0: assumptions, what we think. I'm a this is what will happen, and again, even going back to that, should I ask for a raise, yeah. Mallory? I see your point, and that, and again, there are legitimate concerns behind some of these, like why we don't want to go that path. But we also have to be careful that we can project some of this stuff that may not may not be
1: there it might but it may not in pilot we ask people when was the last time you're told no and if it wasn't recently you're not advocating enough right in negotiation we always want to find the lines right where is it right and otherwise, and so that's a big part of it is we need to get used to a batting average that's less than 50% and to not be crestfallen or destroyed or distraught when we're told no or not right now. Because if it is competence, like, hey, well, tell me how my compass calculator, how do I benchmark against other folks? Right. What like, is the pay range I'm on? How do I compare to other things like in the market? Things the system, like that. Right. Like, understand the system. And then to say, like, hey, I I would love to be in a position, I want to manage people eventually, or I want to do this, or what would be the implications if I work part time, or I'd like to switch to a remote role that could be completely remote rather than hybrid. And you start to, like, get in a negotiation, but employees want to get often, if they're untrained at doing this, they want 100% batting average, yes, and they want exactly what they want, and they want it immediately, Right. And most organizations are just not in a position to immediately make a change. They can't. You can't literally administratively no. give someone a 15% pay raise tomorrow. Like it's just no. like, the, the, like there's- No, like- and, and that's even going back to some of the
0: the the in and out hidden menu stuff. I mean, again, this is some of the stuff that I try and help unpack for people. Because again, if you've been in HR, if you've been around learning, you know some of the stuff that just happens. But the general employee base, a lot of times doesn't. And so even to your point, I'd like a raise. It, it's not like, you know, your boss has a, a drawer of cash, you know, sitting like here that they can just be like, well, yeah, sure. Let me pull that out. And, you know, boom, let's make this happen. Understanding the process and the comp and the pay bands and how things are calculated and tenure and, and understanding that complexity Shouldn't be discouraging, but it should help better set expectations. Again, going knowing what the hidden menu is helps you then have better expectations to go, oh, okay, so I understand that. So now my expectations have changed from, do I get a raise next pay period? Yes. Or are we on the process of pushing that forward, going back to retention? So instead of getting mad when I feel like the answer is not right now and going, forget this, yep. I'll go work somewhere else. You start to say, okay, I like my job. I like my boss. My boss, you know, unlike some of the bad examples I've seen, was a total jack wagon and, you know, whatever. Okay, you no, know, maybe my boss really said, Hey, let's talk about this, let's explore it. I now understand the complexity behind it. And I see we're on that pathway that is going to lead to retention.
1: And I think being explicit with the ask as well, employees will say, I need flexibility in my schedule. Well, that's right. Vague. What does that mean? What does that, what does that, what does that mean? You know, when, when one of our crew members a pilot came to me and said, look, you know, the single parent, they live in an area where the school bus drops off the kid, you know, out of, out of visual line of sight from the house, etc. They're like, look, every day I have a 30 minute window. That's pretty sacred that I pick up my kid and we can set a snack down and have a moment to decompress from school. I want to have that be a time where I'm not in meetings and I can, and, and I was like, great, Like that's a specific 3.30 to 4 that's o'clock. That's a specific thing. 3.30 to 4 o'clock, five days a week. I said, but you've got to help manage that, right? And when people try to schedule over that or request something of you, you get a reminder. You, remind you have about, to hit the decline button yes. or reschedule type. Correct, order. correct. Or, or ask to get a recording or you know whatever it might be. And so, but that's a great example of a specific ask that that unlocked so much more satisfaction for that person than a 5% or 10% raise could have ever done Yes. because every day they get to be with their child after school for this really precious window in their youth and to talk about their day and to be supportive and to help them process their emotions and to get them a snack and then put them to work on their homework and then they come back to their desk and start working, right? But that's the thing that I, as a boss, never would know. I don't know where the bus drops off or what the kid needs. I don't know behind the screen. And I think this is the thing I... I gave a talk last week on a book called Remote Works, and it's all about having remote work be effective. And I said, you know, the bar for employees in remote and hybrid is actually higher. So we have to train and develop employees to be more self-directed, more explicit, better advocators, et cetera, because... You know, otherwise you're just sitting and struggling. And if you're in a, in a workplace, I'm not you're you know, struggling I, in silence. Yeah. Like nobody knows if you're, if you're working late and the boss is going home and they see you at your desk at eight o'clock at night and you're looking stressed out, they can see that you might have too much workload yes. or need support or something else. Right. But we don't have those moments in remote or hybrid. No, we don't have those
0: visual cues that can, Correct. like you said, I don't know that you were up all night till two in the morning after you put your kids to bed working on something because I don't see it type of a thing.
1: And so we, and have going to, back to, we have to train people like back to, in because so advocacy can be lowercase a, right? Hey, today, yes. my kid was up throwing up last night. So today, uh, like things are a little crazy around here. I'm going to be off camera for this meeting, right? Like the small, like, like lowercase a advocacy. Sometimes it's the tiniest little thing where everyone's like, cool, yep. whatever. Or like, do you want us to record? Like it's oftentimes what we're asking for seems like it's so meaningful to us but it's very easy for other it's people. It's very trivial.
0: It, it can be very nominal too. And I think, I, I love that you bring this up because as we're tying about this connection to retention, I, so often you do see the disconnect where people are like, how does development connect to retention? And it's like, because development <laughs> helps bring these things to life, not only in, you know, cause Mallory to your, qu- your comment here, it, like this is, the, this is how I see retention tying to development in managers, if you've got these managers who are acting like this, where when somebody brings up even the possibility of a raise, they're just clubbed for it. Okay, yeah, that manager either just probably just needs to be ousted or developed to know, hey, that's not an appropriate way to do it. But these kinds of things we're talking about have huge implications on retention. Even the, I love that we talked about the flexibility one because that's one that I think this whole remote versus in office thing has just destroyed because when people hear the word flexibility in their head, they jump to one of these extremes a lot of times. Oh, you want flexibility? You can't work remotely. Did I say that's what I was asking for? And to your point, the example you just brought up of, I, I, I didn't mean that, you know, well, we can't give flexibility to hourly employees. Um. Yes, you absolutely can. If you actually get into the conversation of, well, what does that look like for you? You know, like you said, well, my kids don't get on the bus till this time. Can we talk about me getting in half an hour later? Because it just, oh, and again, that may seem like a huge deal. Oh, my boss is never going to do it. The company's not. That's not my schedule. To your manager, that may be like, oh, yeah, we'll just change things around. Like, it's not a big deal type of a thing. Let's just talk about how we make that possible. And that can be the difference between somebody being mad and quitting or going, wow, my boss cares about me. The company values me. I'm getting exactly what I needed. And the company who may have been like, we can't offer flexibility to remote to hourly employees. What? Like you might be writing off an entire massive portion of your workforce without even understanding what's really even being asked.
1: And oh, by the way, you could be missing out on a very powerful retention hook. That person that picks up up their kid at 330 to four does not want to lose that. And if they go to another organization, there will be a lot of fear and anxiety that it won't be cool like it is at the place where they got it. And what a great way to keep people with something that is differentiated, right? A salary can be matched or increased but some of the flexibility right. or or some of the challenge or the quality of the relationships being safe to speak up. So part of pilot, we actually prepare managers for a more empowered employee. We say, hey, look, this is a good thing. This will make you better, right? They're going to manage up, right? They're going to own more of their one-on-ones. They're going to solicit feedback. They're going to advocate. They're going to own more of their development. But you, Miss Manager, Mr. Manager, have got to be ready for a more empowered employee because you don't want employees that are children. Right, you don't want to always be, you know, managing that, and so that's a part of where we have to also, from a developmental perspective, we say, "Oh, the culture around here." Well, the culture is like the fricking air. It's a lot like who owns it, what did, you know. Like so, it's like okay. it's
0: different today than it was yesterday.
1: Yeah. And if you have a manager that would be like off with your head if you advocate for for comp, that's probably going to show up in lower engagement, in turnover, or productivity or quality, and you should probably use your heat maps and your data, people data, to say do we have an issue where we need to train or develop this person or, or exit them, right? Or put them in a non-management position potentially, right? It's not always firing someone. Everyone goes to fire someone. No, right? like no, because it, the
0: reality is this is another big topic going back to the development. And this is, I think one of the, sh- I, I, I want to transition to kind of the shift for managers because you just yes. talked about a really important one. But I think this, I, I'm, I'm going to add to it. And then I want to talk about this whole manager piece because I think this is really in many ways a linchpin yep. for the success of this. You know, the other one is to that point of, okay, so you may have someone who's just a terrible people manager. Sometimes the reaction is, well, yeah, we should just not have them in the org. But the reality is, like you just said, maybe it's just they don't belong in a people manager role. They're a phenomenal person. They're a phenomenal
1: like Technical producer, leader. Matter expert, technical leader. They can manager. drive results and all this
0: yeah. stuff. And I think going back to myths that a lot of people have, is this idea that becoming a people manager is one of the mandatory steps in development. And it's like, not not necessarily, or it shouldn't be, because there are certain folks that it's like, that's actually, no, you should be able to have a successful career and feel developed and grown without having to say, oh gosh, I hate people more than anything, but I've got to do it because that's what growth looks like.
1: And, and often our leadership and learning programs exclude non-people managers. One of the most- They, they often do. And, and, and so it's this big structural barrier where you're like, okay, well, this is just for our managers and because they're having the impact and all this stuff. And like, I'm all about developing managers. But if your spans, I mean, if you're in an organization that has more than 20% of your head count that is managers, you probably have a lot of overhead bloat, right? In general, you know, typically your spans and layers, you're looking between, you know, 15 to 20, maybe 25% of your headcount as managers. It means that 75 out of hundred people or more are not. And if you don't allow them to think of themselves as leaders, to think of themselves as managers of something, quality schedule, relationships, timelines, whatever you you're missing out. you create these structural barriers, right? How did, yeah. you know, and again, diversity, we often have demographic diversity at the bottom tiers of a hierarchy, but how do we cultivate the pipelines internally? Well, if you never give them opportunities to develop beyond kind of, technical skills or compliance or the basics and you don't get them you don't teach them about the secret menu about advocating about how they need to ask for feedback how they need to manage up partner with their manager and you never kind of give them the keys to the kingdom kind of the rules of the game you kind of demystify and decode that they will never actually get to that level and then you're like just so turns out that women just don't want to be directors and it's like no 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 this is not about their ambition right no no
0: it's you're you're spot and so often we see this where we give people a game board and we go play the game and we're like, Well, see, some people just didn't know how to get to the other side of the board. And you're like, Did you tell anybody the game rules?
1: No, N- no, did <laughs> tell them it was uh, a game? Right, right. You, did you even tell them it was a game? Or is this just a simulation and you're just watching what people happen and like it's a survival of the fittest and you know, and then you're- Yeah, it's, you're, it's not hunger games. <laughs> no, no, and I think, and, and so I think that's where we have so much, where learning and development can add so much value to organizations beyond technical skills or even competency-based models, which are fine, right? And we need all of that, but we also need to empower and activate individuals, right? Because so much of, you know, there's opportunity everywhere, right? Whether you have a mature HR or not, right? Whether it's well-run or not, whether you get this, you can kind of make hay anywhere, but we have to help equip employees to spot those opportunities and to be sort of intrapreneurial, right? The Fortune 500 CEOs talk a lot about intrapreneurship and they want people that are more creative and risk takers and problem solvers to take ownership, sort of being entrepreneurs inside of a company. We, that also applies to how we even manage our own careers because there's so much I learned about entrepreneurship. And part of what made me successful in the corporate world is I was a mini entrepreneur in the corporate world, but it required different things than being weighted to be tapped on the shoulder. I can't, I mean, I, it, it, three different companies. I invented my own job. I literally wrote the job description yeah. and people are like, you can do that. I'm like, you can do whatever the heck you can convince other people you can do. So, <laughs> like, so you, you can't demand it, right? You, they can't be a jerk no. can't be aggressive. But, but I, but I was like, Hey, like I saw a need over here at Lockheed Martin. We got to do, you know, we got to do this thing. Um, seems like it's really important to the division president. Seems like no one's working on it. I'd like to take it on. And they're like, by all means. Right. And so, that was the kind of opportunities that were unlocked, but it was opportunities I often created for myself rather than getting an inbound. I think in people's careers, we're pretty passive. We wait for the recruiter to call us, right? And so like, that's our opportunity when really opportunities are often best when we create them because we know what opportunities are compelling. The opportunity for a job that has us travel all over the world may be really compelling, but it also may be a total bug based on your lifestyle configuration and your, your preferences or your values, your health, all these other things. And so that's where we know. Well, the and most just depending
0: on your stage in life. I think exactly. that's one of the other things with some of these unwritten rules is when you don't, when people aren't aware of this and you take this going back to what we talked about, kind of the employer role, when you take this more paternal role and say, all right, we're going to decide for you yes. what's best. And we're just going to tell you this. And then we wonder why people don't, thrive. They just Mm -hmm. don't thrive. And it's like, well, because you're, you're, you're attempting to cast the widest net, but that's even a myth because you're casting the widest net and it's missing the 95% because you're like, well, we think everybody's like this. And oops, we missed 95% and the 5% we did actually, the timing was wrong. And so they totally swam through the net type of a thing. And you're like, well, actually we only caught about 2% of everything. And I think that's a really important piece of this is while it can be hard as an employee to kind of hear like what you said, like, hey, you might have to dig in you might have to think more like an entrepreneur you might have to, this may you may have to have some uncomfortable conversations your batting average may look more like a mlb player yep you're not hitting 50% no. of the balls no you're and- not going to you're going to get told no a lot you're going to get redirected you're going to hear things about you that make you go oh i'm not as amazing as i thought in my head like and you need to know that's growth just totally. like going to the gym if you're not sore
1: after going to the gym you might want to reevaluate your workout absolutely and i think that that we have to you know i think the great resignation and remote work has been one of the best things for employers even though it's pain because employers have had to get better the sort of paternalistic model absolutely. where you've got you know shoots and ladders and paths the, the the access the competition for labor is greater than ever. The the switching cost for employees is lower than ever. And the amount of information in terms of a functional market, right? Good information makes a market function. A labor market is a market. And so employees have a much better sense of what's available, comp, culture data, glass door reviews, all sorts of social media stuff. They have a much better sense, whereas it used to be, you know, you lived in Wherever St. Louis, and there was a couple major employers, and you kind of looked at your options around. These are the seven huge, you know, Anheuser Busch and Enterprise Rent-A-Car and Panera Bread, and we got these great companies in St. Louis, right? But these are my options. And in reality, those companies are going to have to also compete with, you know, UPS and Home Depot in Atlanta, right? And American Airlines in Dallas, you know, and right. you know Quest Diagnostics in New Jersey, and everywhere else, because they're going to have to compete, and that's going to make employers better but we have yes. to really catch up and sort of let go of the old paradigms. And this is one of the things that's really hard for the brain, right? Because the brain is a pattern recognition machine. If then, you know, you think about AI and all stuff. It's like, if this, then that, that is how our brain, if yep. saber tooth tiger run like a mofo. Right. And so, it's like, <laughs> so, you know, so, so when we break the patterns, which is like, Oh, we do ladders and shoots and paths and this, and that it has us freak out because there's uncertainty. So again, so right. much of this is how can we emotionally regulate ourselves to say, we're going to let go of a thing that got me to a VP title and the $200,000 salary in learning or in talent. I'm going to let go of that to explore like something new. And that's a very courageous act because typically when we get something that works, we cling to it, but then that's when people get disrupted or become obsolete or get yep. exited out because they're not willing to evolve. And so learning people need to learn.
0: So. With this one, because, again, I'm just even thinking of some of this stuff, you know, even even like you said, that the model of, well, you're in this location, all these big things. I mean, they're getting disrupted even by, like, I just think, like, our Instacart driver yep. has made a whole career and does very well as an Instacart driver because he's figured out how to play the game, even in that space, and yep. it meets what is important to him. Yep. He's got a bunch of kids, and he's like, I love it. I can do whatever I want. I can work whenever I want. My kids come with me. We do... And that's more important to him than some of the other things that maybe a traditional, well, shoots and ladders says that career looks like this for you. So therefore you must do this. And he basically has said, I didn't like that ladder. I have had fascinating conversations. He's like, I didn't like that ladder. So I made my own ladder and it doesn't look like a ladder that anybody ever would have built for me. Where I want to transition though, before we run out of time, because I told you we could probably sit and talk for the rest of the afternoon is when it comes to measuring this, yes, this makes people feel really uncomfortable sometimes. And I feel like sometimes this is where people just, because it's like, uh, what you're describing is so ambiguous and messy. And like, we used to just be able to say, we shove everybody through this path and they get to the end of it and we give them all their award and We pat ourselves on the back and go, yes, there. We did X number of people this year, career development. We've done it. And now we're going, well, that could look wildly different for every single person. And I've been in conversations with people, well, we can't measure that. How are you seeing that shift to accommodate that? Because at the end of the day, everything we're talking about, you have to be able to justify it to someone And say, there is a return on what we're doing here, which if you've listened to the conversation, hopefully we've highlighted some of these big things that are very tangible. Yep. But this even challenges our own structures of what does good look like? And the way we used to define good, which I don't think really was a good measure before, but now that's just being shown for what it is, which was, well, this was a total vanity metric that didn't tell us much of anything.
1: Well, I think part of it is we get real confronted around metrics, but metrics are really important. And so yes. oftentimes metrics are not complex. They're easy to understand. They're standardized. They're benchmarkable, right? Internally, externally, et cetera. And we set expectations and around the definition of the metric and the target, which are separate things, right? Okay. How far on the thermometer we're measuring temperature in Fahrenheit and what's the desired temperature of the pool water, right? That yep. is a key metric at the resort, right? Um, and Absolutely. you have a target around that because if that water's too cold, you're going to have someone at the front desk, white lotus style, not happy, right? So yep. that's where I think we have to, you know, slow down before we roll these programs out, and to think about what those important measures are, and to set the expectations. You know, when we launched the social learning platform in my my old company, we had a 62 year old business unit president. The guy worked in the navy submarine for 20 years. He was a real Hard ass guy, great guy, but he was like, "Why don't we have a hundred percent of our employees blogging?" And I was like, "Well, Joe," I said, "like you know, best practice in a learning community is a one percent blogging rate, you know, like a ten percent sort of social commenting, whatever, and then like a you know, you know, eighty nine percent lurking rate, right?" So we started like, yep. get the benchmarks and educate, right? Because yes. we're not going to have perfection. So it's a lot of this expectation management. And so this could be, you know, a big part of retention and growth is changing the employee's perception, right? The dead end thing. Do yep. they think they're at a dead end or do they not? Is a thing we can measure, right? Yes, it and is. Your intent. Do you feel to... stuck yes. or do you not? Does the company give me my resources yeah. to advance my career? Do I see myself working here in two time, two years time? Now, intent to stay is different than if they stayed. So you have to balance that with your HCM yes. and say in workday, what's our turnover? Did we, did we change this? Did we change... <laughs> Because I've been in plenty of
0: companies where the fear culture is there and everybody says, I love it. And like, yet your your retention is Correct. dismal. And it's like, Correct. well,
1: something's off here. So we, so it, you know, pilot, we talk about, you know, obviously you want to you know, measure program participation, but you probably don't want to put that in front of a lot of your executives unless you really set expectations around what good looks like right? Because yeah. average, you know, virtual learning program participation and completion is 10, 15%. It's like very low numbers in pilot. We're like in the mid seventies, typically industry leading, but still people are like, what about that 25? And we're like, well, we're like multiples of this, but there's also then the, the, the value and the satisfaction of the program, which you don't want to measure just at the end, but continuously. Yeah. So every time someone touches our product, we measure CSAT. So we've got, you know, sort of longitudinal data, hundreds or thousands of data points per customer. We can say, here's your CSAT and here's how the benchmarks you know, NPS, those sort of things. But then you have to measure the growth, you know? Are there particular things that, you know, did an employee ask for the feedback, advocate for themselves? You can actually measure this from the employee and the manager. These things happen in the real world. It's the behavior change, the the holy grail of learning development, right? Is real world behavior change. You can measure. Now, are you measuring that this happened every single day, all the time? No, I'm not going to advocate for myself 24-7 at work. I'm going to advocate for myself. But having a first instance of it, right? See one, do one, Right. That is measurable, right? You can see the, the, the manager perception of this person, but then also again, the psychometric things around how do they feel about their opportunities, the context they're in, their future here. These are all things that you can measure using benchmarked standardized things. And if you start to set the scoreboard, right? Baseball is a great example, right? There's like, you know, like three numbers you typically see on the scoreboard. There's a few other little ones, but like you kind of focus on that, right? And so, so that's you know, we often have you need to have a simplified scoreboard when we're showing a 16 page slide deck and this and that, or huge spreadsheets, that isn't analytics or insights or metrics, that is raw data, right? So we have to boil this up and say, listen, Miss CFO, you know, here's how we're assessing these things based upon industry, we have to educate them in advance before we roll out the things, we have to define the metric, we have to agree on the targets, and that's work that we typically don't do. And then we put them in a meeting if they'll show up, right? And then they're like, why is this only 75%? And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so in excess of our target. And they're like, why didn't, you know, and you're on your back foot. So this yep. is where LD, talent, diversity, HRBPs, you know, all of this advocating for yourself includes advocating for the definition of success yeah. of your work. And that's what unlocks more budget, more headcount, more visibility. You know, ideally you want your stuff in where I had our CEO had the what went well this quarter slide, which was very limited number of things. My LD programs used to be on that slide for a $5 billion company because we involved him in the metrics and the expectation setting. And he was so sick of getting letters from HR. He wanted numbers. He didn't want a yep. doc or a deck. He wanted a spreadsheet. So we met him where he was and spoken the language of business for him. And all of a sudden his yep. perception, we had other programs that were going well, right? But I sure, would, but they weren't the ones. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, it was, we had a bunch of good people. It wasn't like people doing crap work. But, but no. that's, the, but the last mile of an L&D program, right? Isn't completing it for the end user, right? It no. is packaging and synthesizing what went well, what we'd learned, what we'll do in the future, who we're giving this to, how is this connected to other offerings, how are we sustaining this, you know, and then ultimately, what was the value proper of the biz case? And that's the part you really, as an HR professional, have to finish the swing. You can't just send out a survey monkey at the end and say, Do you like it? And what would you, what'd you like about it? And what would Do you, you feel mean? like
0: your behavior changed as a result of this type yeah. of a thing?
1: Yep. No, no, no. You need to well, be measuring all along so it's not a surprise. You know, your financial forecast for your organization, you don't get to December 15th and go, I Wonder how our year's going to be. Like you're January 15th, you have a sense. February 15th, you were every month doing the books, you're doing a forecast, you're looking at reports. Your program should be the same where you're, you know, the guesstimate, right? The forecast just gets more and more accurate. And as you get closer, you know exactly how this program is going. So it's not a big risk and you don't have anxiety and you can course correct along the way.
0: Well, and and there's two things that you brought up that I think are really important call outs on this measuring piece is, you know, sometimes there's this tendency to throw the dart and then paint the target and be like, all right, we did the thing quick. Let's look at all these metrics. And then like, based on where the dart is, how do we use that to kind of paint some nice circles around where it landed to go, ta-da. And it, it just, it doesn't work. People see right through it. And I think the other thing that you brought up that is a really important one is including people in these discussions to find out what's really important to them and doing that more on the front end of things to say, how do we make sure this is a success before we go into it? Because there is the tendency, like you said, with the 16 pages of information Yes, you need to collect a lot of different yes. data points. Yes, But that doesn't mean you need to share all of those data points because the risk you run is they don't know how to interpret that data anyway. And they're going to get laser focused on like, why is this one this? And you're like, Kate, okay, now I'm trying to explain to you why that is what it is and why it doesn't matter. And because in this situation, and you end up, like you said, you're on your heels defending yourself instead of saying, I've taken the time to understand what's important to you. We've talked about what expectations are. We've defined that. Yes, we're collecting all these other things so we can tell a really compelling story. And if we get pushback, we know what we can lean back on so we can lean into our, you know, lean forward with it. But it's, it's such an important part of doing this well. And it is, to your point, when I hear people say, it's, you know, learning's really hard to measure. It, no. no, it's It's work. Yeah. Like measuring anything is yeah. measuring company performance. It's not easy, no. but it's possible. And anybody that said you just can't really measure whether a company's doing well or not, you'd you'd laugh. You'd throw them off your board. You'd be like, are you kidding? Like, what are you doing? And the same yeah, and, is true and, for learning.
1: And You're operating a, a machine. Right. So, yes, you're operating, you know, a barge or a jet or, you know, a race car. Right. You know, you're going to have certain inputs. And so you've got to figure out what those are. But this is self-advocacy for the L&D or the talent of the DEI or the HRBP professional is aligning the expectations in advance. Because for your career, for your bonus, for your promotion, for your stretch assignment, for you getting to go to that conference, for you getting to try the new vendor, you want to create a pattern recognition of we're going to do a thing, we're going to define what that is. And we're gonna assess it and we're gonna be honest because it may not always, I may not always be able to deliver, but I'm gonna say, hey, here's what we expected, here's what we did, here's how it turned out, and here's what we learned. Whereas there's often, here's what we're gonna do like, differently. Exactly, versus the bullshit soup of like, everything's great and people love it. And it's like, that's actually, you don't create honesty or trust. No, you don't. You often create a lot of trust, even in sales with pilot. I'll say to people, I'm like, oh, do you do that? You know, do you like customize this or white label that or do this in Portuguese? I'm like, no. Trust immediately goes up instead of going, well, I'm going to think about our roadmap and blah, 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 blah. We don't do it. <laughs> so I say freaking no, because it's the truth. And then there's reality and I'm dealing in reality. And guess what? Those are the kind of people that we close as customers because we're in reality. And so we're, but yeah. we're afraid of disappointing. We're afraid of discomfort. So, but trust me, you go to an executive who's reasonable and you don't masquerade perfection, but you say, Hey, you nope. learned it we're responsible, here's our plan for the next time, here's what we're gonna do, et cetera, right? You will generate the kind of trust because you'll be the kind of executive or professional that is taking intellectual ownership, right? Not just operational ownership, intellectual ownership of your work, which is one of the fundamental things executives are testing is have you thought this through? And that's intellectual ownership.
0: And that's, and I will close on this that I can just say from my own career experience, the same thing has been true when it's like i thought about this even if i've made mistakes may sound completely counterintuitive to come forward and go i totally missed this <laughs> yeah like as we were planning this this was a variable i did not expect to see and it threw us for a winger we've learned from it and here's how we're going to pivot because now we've learned you would think that'd be the kind of thing that would be say get out of here like you're fired and actually it's quite the opposite it, my experience has been quite the opposite of okay you take one on the chin, you took your hard knocks, but you thought about it, you're going to do something with it. All right, let's move it forward. Versus, like you said, making up a bunch of BS and trying to hide it and it, people see right through it. Absolutely. All right. Well, Ben, this Thank was this, has been this awesome. was awesome. Yeah. yeah. This was great. I really appreciate you making the time. Hopefully, everybody who watched and listened uh, along the way, you'll get something out of this. And uh, yeah. Thank you for making the time Ben and for getting those pearly whites ready just for this event. And we will talk again soon. Thanks everybody. And we will see you next week. Thanks.